Well, there you are, and welcome to Redemption's Table. Today's menu, Thursday, August 24th, 2023, we have a weirdly authentic redemption story with special guest, author Gerald Skyby. Steph Cherry is back for a guest co-host, and Sky Peterson is providing our opening and closing music with my favorite Sky song, Searching for Us. I encourage you to go check out all of Sky's music wherever you listen. And as a bonus, if you are in the Birmingham, Alabama area tonight, Sky will be in concert at 7 p.m. at the Woodlawn Theater. Tickets are still on sale. Doors open at 6 p.m. And if you can't catch Sky in concert tonight, check out her other tour dates at skypeterson.com. So thanks, Sky. Steph and Gerald, and thank you for tuning in. Here we go. It's great to have Gerald Skyby today on Redemption's Table. Welcome, Gerald. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank awesome. you very much. Awesome to have you. And we also have co-host Steph Cherry today. Hey, Steph. Hey, Robert. Thank you for having me, too. <laughs> well, Steph, you, you were the one that introduced me to Gerald. So, Gerald, first off, for, for those who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, yeah, so my name is Gerald Skyby. And I am a writer, author, banker, father, husband, a lot of things, little things. But so I work in or I live in Waco and have been here for uh, on and off for about 10, 11 years. And I write about my focus on my writing is faith, addiction, processing through just faith journeys, church hurt, different things like that. So, okay. So do you have an opportunity to go and speak in a lot of places? So, yeah, off and on, I speak um, 
these days I do more podcasts just because I think that's just easier for people to do these days. Um, but yeah, so I speak, I've done some things at churches, men's events. So right now, what I actively do right now is mentor men. And I've done that off and on for probably 10 years now. Okay. So uh, I started with working with men in an organization called Triple X Church, which is now called, uh, oh, I'm going blank on the name, but I'll come back to it in a minute. Uh, but yeah, so mentoring men through internet pornography addiction and relationship issues. And so all that's a faith-based organization, but I do that now just on my own. So. Okay. So Triple X Church, was that started by Ben Diesel? No, <laughs> that was started by Craig Gross. Okay. And so he he was the one that originally started it. And it was for, so it was geared toward men and working with men who, and, and it became, my wife actually started the spouse program working with women who were, who were married to men who had issues with internet pornography and other sexual addictions. Okay. Uh, Robert and I were talking about having Tabby on. I think it would be interesting perspective on her side. Like, Oh, yes. Yeah. She has an amazing perspective about it. Uh, we did a podcast several weeks ago and we talked, that was our focus was internet pornography and kind of processing it through our, through the marriage and how that looks. And it's excellent to get obviously a woman's standpoint on that subject. So. Well, Steph has read your book, and uh, Steph, jump in. Okay, so Gerald, I, I mean, you don't know me, you don't know my story, but the reason that this stood out to me was I've lost all my siblings. Like they're all, they oh. all died from drug and alcohol abuse, um, and that led me into creating a nonprofit for the homeless, working with drug addicts, working with, um, you know prostitutes, all, all of these things. So that's my heart. That's And so I was like, oh, this is going to be really great. Right. And it was hard to read. I found it hard to read, you know, just going through it. And you know how you want to go get the people and be like, no, yeah, just eat the fried chicken and sit here. Yeah. Um, but so like, and I'm going to be in Waco this weekend um, serving there. And I have, a, I have a lot of heart for the streets of Waco myself. Um, but so as reading it, you know, I'm like, I love how Jesus just does crazy stuff for us and how he kept coming to you. Like the cliff guy and the name of your, your fake name. Right. Yeah. All that. Like it. And nobody knows what I'm talking about. But it's a great book. But anyway, so <laughs> I love how God just is like, oh, you, you need to know it's me. Here exactly. You go. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. and then getting picked up and in Mexico and ending up with people you don't know and ending up in a Bible study. Like I loved all of it. So, and as I'm reading it, I'm like, you're naming names. You're talking about places. You're doing all this stuff. Has that caused any backlash for you? Uh, So all the people mentioned in it, obviously I changed a lot of names, but then some of the names I don't change are the ones that I actually communicate with to today. So actually me and Cliff communicate on and off throughout the year. And we've done a few things together, actually speaking together. Um, Shortly, I think it was probably five, six, maybe seven years after the whole quote unquote Del Rio experience that I had, um, Cliff actually tracked me down. Mm -hmm. And we reconnected. And what was odd was that we were both leading 
teenage groups in our different cities and we were both doing the same thing which was kind of a weird kind That's of connection wild. the the girl who picked me up uh when i was down on the border um, i reconnected with her um late last year so we discussed a few things and i reached out to her and just told her hey so this is this is a re-release of my original the original title was hangover to jesus and i re-released it but so I reconnected with her and, and we discussed a lot of things. And what was interesting was that she, she was telling me that, Hey, this story, this event for you, for you and me, just that little interaction for maybe 15 minutes, right. Uh, is one of the things she hangs on to is like, that was a moment God spoke to her because that was something she never done in her life. She never stopped, never picked up anybody, never did anything like that. And so what was cool about this whole situation, I think what's cool about sharing your stories is that you don't realize how impactful they are for the other people that are walking alongside or not even involved in your circle anymore. And she was going through um, somewhat of a faith issue or some church hurt and stuff like that. And so we were able to kind of come back around and talk about that. Let's let's rewind just a moment because I don't think mm-hmm. I gave you the opportunity to to I think maybe we've referenced the title of the book the title mm-hmm. and subtitle um, <laughs> back back up for those listening who are like what book are we talking about oh uh, yeah to, the, give us the book and the subtitle so the book is called Sobering Faith How I Came to Jesus oh my gosh I went blank on my book How I Sorry. discovered God while hungry yes yes How I discovered I have two books sitting in front of me. So yes, how I discovered God while hungover. So, um, and the book is about essentially, it takes a really long view of here's Gerald and it starts off from, Hey, my father, my mother dealing with an alcoholic family, how my parents kind of reconciled that walk through that, but the effects on me. And then whenever the faith issue starts popping in, and then I walk away from faith. And I and when I say I walked away from faith, I walked away from really in a confused state. And that's kind of where this whole sober and faith t- journey starts is because then I go and just start looking for answers in all the wrong places, obviously. But places where I felt like I was trying to go on my own journey. And so all of this kind of collides in Del Rio, where I'm out partying one weekend and I'm literally uh, wake up at the La Quinta and I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at. With these where, are the, where, yeah, where are the people at that I came here with? Like it was a, it was a wild. So I literally start walking down the road with no idea, no understanding what direction. So um, I remember looking down at the road and I'm just looking, I'm like, I am totally lost. Right. And you can draw kind of comparisons of that, obviously with the gospel, but, you know, totally lost. So I just started, it's like, well, this is a loop. It goes around Del Rio. So I'll just start walking down one side of it. Eventually I'll get around the other side. That's kind of my mentality. And, uh, and so as I'm walking, uh, I'm sitting there kind of thinking like, and at this time I am engaged too, on top of that. So there's a lot going on. And so when I'm walking, it looks like it's apocalypse. There's no cars around. I'm like, where are all the people at in this city? So one car drives and eventually turns back around and comes up beside me. And it's this girl, redheaded girl. She rolls down her window about two inches, you know, Hey Gerald, you know, um, or not, not Hey Gerald, obviously, but um, Hey, you know, what are you doing? 
you know, you're walking and I'm like, well, I'm trying to get back to the border, which is a really weird thing to say. No one tries to get back to the border. People are usually trying to get away from the border. And I'm like, I'm trying to get back to the border so I can go find the guys I rode here with. And uh, I had, you know, the cell phone trying to call. No one's answering the cell phone. So she says, well, give me a second. She rolls up the window. And uh, and then when she rolls up the window, she rolls it back down. And she said, hey, I'm going to give you a ride, but I'm going to stay on my cell phone. And I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. She goes, but I'm not going to give you a ride. I'm going to take you to this place first, and somebody will take you from there. And then when we go to this place, that's whenever I encounter, hey, I'm at a Bible study, and they can't take me yet. And the guy comes out, and he's like, look, we're not going to take you yet. We're fixing to start. You're welcome to sit in the back if you want and wait till someone can take you. And I'm like, I have no choices right now. So this is the only choice I have. <laughs> so, uh, and I go and sit in the back and it's all a message about like just the realization of choices, decisions and hell and just the way, you know, you're living your life type thing. And it, and, and it was a very hard message for that day. And it was one of those, and I'm sure y'all have experienced this where you just walk in and you, you hear a message and it's like, crap, is this message like catered to me right now? And um, hitting on all those notes. So, and that's where I eventually meet a man named Cliff. Cliff is a guy that, a name that I used to prank call my wife at work a lot of times. So I would say, hey, this is Cliff. And I would, she worked at an insurance company. So I'd always just mess with her. And it's kind of a running joke. And anyway, so this whole situation goes on. I meet Cliff. He gives me a ride. He gives me his card. And um praise with us. I get back to Waco. I eventually just all through from Del Rio to Waco is about, I don't know, five hours, six hour drive, something like that, maybe longer than that. But I get to get to the apartment and uh, that we're living at the time. And I'm just like, I'm just going to tell Tab everything that like, hey, we didn't go camping. This is what we did. This is how I did. You know, at that time I was doing cocaine. So I was like, this is what we stopped and did this, this, this. And but I said, hey, I met this guy named Cliff and, you know, went to a Bible study and it was just kind of, and she was like, took her ring off, you know, and it's really great when she tells the story, she's so much more animated with it, but she takes her ring off and she sits there and she says, um, you know, I know you're lying now because why would you say you met a guy named Cliff? You said you're going to, you met a guy that used the name you used to prank call me with. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it didn't even, it hit me right there. Like what the heck? So I take the card out. Cliff had wrote in his name and his number and I gave it to her. Well, she leaves and I'm thinking, oh, we're done, I guess. Like, I don't know what to do. Well, she ends up calling Cliff and asking if he's real and kind of verifying all the facts. And so when I say sober in faith, this is kind of where the story for me is that whenever I walk with anybody who's struggling and, and I tend to lean toward people who struggle just in general. I, I, I meet with people who don't believe in God at all at lunch. I meet with people who are just struggling with different addictions, sometimes like alcoholics who can work still and everything like that, but they're still alcoholics, you know, and it's still, it's still hurting their relationships at home, but they're functioning at work. Right. And so I meet with different types of people all throughout the, the week sometimes. So when I say sober and faith after this event, you know, I feel like, oh, I found God, you know, the kind of cliche thing people say. And I'm like, so everything's going to be okay. And, you know, two weeks after that, I find myself and I'm like, I got invited and I'm in a strip club again. I'm like, 
what just, why am I here again? And I remember the feeling that something had changed, right? And it's very hard for people to understand if you haven't lived on that side of the tracks, if you will, to know that, hey, this is a process. And so it was like a moment for me to start realizing like, hey, maybe this is not something I should be participating in. Maybe this is causing some of the issues. Maybe this is not what I should be running to. And so really over the next couple of years, it was kind of a slowly like peeling back the onion. It was like, maybe alcohol isn't good for me. Maybe this isn't good. But those convictions were coming. So kind of what you were saying, Steph, it was like God was speaking my language. Like, okay, you're not this guy that's just going to lay. You've got to know why. <laughs> and it's kind of this process. And and so two years after that, that's when ever I accepted Christ at the Salvation Army in Waco, Texas. But that came after, again, that's why I call it sobering faith. And even when it was, you know, hangover to Jesus, it's like, hey, you literally have to be sobered up to get to faith. Like there's so much that has to happen. And some people we've been kind of labeled sometimes at other churches like, hey, these are the fringe people. They'll deal with those people that are, and and sometimes I've taken that a little offensively. I'm like, hey, what does that mean? You know, kind of thing. But then I'm like, okay, that's cool. Because you can't just plug people right into a program, right? It's like, oh, okay, here. Now go sit in this pew and sing these worship songs and listen to this passion for an hour and a half and you're good, right? Yeah. Some of that just doesn't fit for people. And, yeah. and that's where I land at with people because I was that guy. There's so many people I look at and, Within 10 minutes, I'm talking to him I'm like, man, you know, God, you just don't know him the way that he wants you to know. Him. Like you're trying to do it other people's way. And that's just not going to fit sometimes, especially if you have some baggage with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And go back on your story, you know, Del Rio. I've been through Del, Del Rio many times, probably mm-hmm. stayed at that La Quinta Inn uh, back yeah. to goodness 25, 30 years ago. I like Del Rio, but that is a place, uh, and uh, and it's changed. The border has changed greatly. Oh yeah. So when did the what? In I'm just like, wow, Del Rio, interesting place to find God. But then God is everywhere, uh, right. and and He doesn't avoid places like like Del Rio or any other place. You know, the idea of something being God forsaken, this is God forsaken land. No, it's not. Uh, matter of fact, yeah. God's presence is heavier in those places that we want to look at and say, oh, that's God forsaken. No, he never forsakes. Never. As long as right. we have breath right. in our body, breath in our lungs. And then the idea when you talk about it being a process, you're exactly right. Uh, sometimes I think through the years, the church has conveyed, you come to Jesus, boom, you're changed. Boom. And, and, you know, you that's are right. a new creation. That's where it starts. But this idea of process, there, there's a biblical word for it, a theological word called sanctification. And yes. uh, But we don't even think of that terms. We just think, okay, now I'm different and boom, everything changes immediately. Mm-hmm. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. It doesn't. Uh, right. That it is a lifelong process a lifelong journey so when did this start for you because uh in hearing your story there i'm I'm thinking this didn't just happen five years ago but what time frame when did the del rio event what year did that oh so that was about 2000 2001 2002 somewhere around there and uh i accepted well it's 2003 because i accepted christ in 2005 so that was when i became in my own words, my profession of faith came at okay. that time. 
when you were at the La Quinta and Del Rio, did you see a guy in a red pickup truck, Ford Ranger drive through? I'm just yeah. <laughs> That's There's a lot of Red Rangers down there, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this has been a 20 year journey. Yes, it's been, and and it's been, you know, sometimes I can be guilty of being too transparent with the faith journey, because the one thing I'll say is like it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. This is not something that's easy. This is not something that you're just going to. It, it, it's not something you put in your pocket or put around your neck. No, it's like something you have to live out. And that's what me and my wife, Tabby, we talk about how crazy our life has gotten just intensely. Every time we've went and done something, it's just like, it seems like God is setting up these little things for us to do nothing we've ever wanted to do. And I'm not saying we, in that in a negative way, it's just like, that wasn't even on our radar. And then it's like, it's placed in front of you. Just like writing books was just, I was sitting in front of a, the, a, I was working at Amogee Bank in downtown Houston and a guy was talking to me and I started sharing my story with him because he wanted to talk about like faith and he knew I had talked about it around workplace and we we're sitting there talking and then he leaves and I'm sitting there and I'm like, and immediately the stock comes like, you should write this out. <laughs> and so I literally just took my journals. Sober and faith is really my journals because immediately when I accepted Christ, my mother-in-law gave me this great advice. She said, start journaling today because you're not going to know the guy that you are today from, mm. you know, 20 years from now or whatever. So, and I started journaling and I took all my journals and started just putting them out in a book form. Wow. And that's, that's where sober and faith came from. You have a wise mother-in-law. Yeah, yes. I she's very wise. Yeah. I, I know her. Oh, uh, you do. Yes. Uh, okay. She's a little bubble of light, Catherine. Um, very joyful. And I loved um how you were talking about like just being around them was so different that you started to see like yeah. God it, how it was supposed to look because you'd never seen that. And that was really encouraging to me because we, you know, we always bringing people into our house. And I was like, Demi, they just need to see what normal Christian people look like who right. love each other and respectful and worship and pray together. And so that was just really encouraging to me. And I love her. Like she is, I mean, just so joyful. And yes. it was neat to see how she had, you know, sewn into your own story. Yeah. So it was really interesting, you know, when I met them, you know, I, I kind of, I watched my parents overcome alcohol and they were trying to pull their marriage together. Right. And try to operate in that world. And, and I don't want to, the dysfunction sometimes is a strong word, but there was some dysfunction with my faith. Like my parents had their faith, right? But when I met Catherine and Bruce, I sat there and I remember see, seeing them. I'm like, hey, this is an Episcopal priest. And he's like a normal dude. And he's had some struggles and, you know, different things. And, and I, I, I mentioned this story in the book because, and this is a story that comes up sometimes they'll people say, is that real? Like whenever the bottle rolls out from my truck. So there's a part where I first meet Tabby and I'm, and we're going like, it's 4th of July. We're having hot dogs. And I, Bruce's like, Oh, I'll go, I'll go with you to pick up hot dog buns. And I'm like, okay. I, and in my mind, I'm like, I haven't had time to clean out my truck. And those days I still had a lot of stuff in my truck. So he opens the door and a bottle rolls out from the back seat. I'm like, Oh, good Lord. And I just kind of sit there petrified looking straight. And he takes the bottle and he just kind of 
puts it back there and he said, okay, he said, well, we're going to go up to light and we're going to go take a right. And I'm sitting there like, is this some weird game? Like, is he not going to say anything about this? And, <laughs> and so as we're going, what I realized was that he had some compassion toward that because he had had his own struggles with those things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, and this is where the kind of the faith, the faith aspect of those, all this came into place is that, you know, one of the things he said, as we kind of further our relationship, me and Tabby did was like, I know, like he set us down. I think we were dating maybe a month, two months or something. And he set us down. And it was like, I know, I know you're going to marry my daughter. And he just kind of spoke life into me. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time someone sat down and quote unquote spoke life. Like, you're a great guy. I know this. I know this about you. And it's just like, what is he doing? Like, this is really odd. But there was something that he later on in life, you know, we, we've talked about this and it's like something like he prayed through some things and saw some things in me that I couldn't see, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's where, you know, that's the aspect that was missing from my childhood. It was like, you're dealing with so much just kind of restoration. You're trying to put everything back together. And when you're kids, you're part of that with them. Right. And you're trying to learn from your parents. And so they mirrored something for me that a lot of kids don't have. They mirrored something, a, a marriage that was destroyed and they came back together. Right. And they did it with therapy and counseling and working with other people. I, I saw that. So that was mirrored to me. So in me, even to this day, like therapy is not a big deal to me. Counseling is because I've seen that. But the faith aspect, that's where Catherine and Bruce came in, was like, hey, here's this other little piece (laughs) that you need. And it's right here. And still, there's a part that's like, just like you said, joy. It's like that is a part that still to this day was not ingrained in me. So I have to work at being joyful every day. Like I have to work, work. Comes very naturally for Catherine. (laughs) She's just always joyful. And so... um, and so it's it's been a really great journey. Just like I said, God will put these really crazy people in your life and just kind of stack them around. And if you're aware, there's I teach this thing about awareness. Like, man, just be aware. Just have your eyes open. And you can see some pretty incredible people around you that you don't even know exist for you. So, mm-hmm. um, Another part of your story Janice works at the Salvation Army, right? Was that- uh, no, the, Janice worked with me at the at banking the bank. center. Who was yeah. the woman at the Salvation Army? That, um, I think in the book, I, I, I oh, have a different name, name for her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, her, that lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like, I do counseling and I work a lot with people on the street to help them get into recovery. But like that whole story where she's kind of like inviting you into her life Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I always tell people, you know, if you want to get outside of you and your problems, go serve somebody else. Right. Right. Because it will bring healing to you. And I love that. So I wonder if you would touch on that a little bit. Yeah. So that was, again, so a lot of these things. I like the way you started this thing because God does force things on us sometimes or speak our language and. And that whole situation was, I had just been promoted at the banking center and they were like, you need to figure out a way to get your, your department involved in the community. And I'm like, I only know United Way and Salvation Army. That's the only two things I knew. Cause in those world that those days I was very selfish. So didn't even know what was going on. So 
I reach out to United Way, have them come do a thing at the deal. And say, okay, so let's go do something at Salvation Army. I heard about the Christmas thing. And so that's where that all started. I came in and they were like, hey, you have this experience. Why don't you do the documentation and visit with the families um, before they, it was the Toys for Tots. So you had to fill out application and different things. And so me, and I think I call her, I think her name in the book is Jolissa. And I'm trying not to say her real name, but so it's me, Jalissa, and two other people sitting there. And so for like two, three weeks, we're sitting there going over documents. Families are coming in. You're meeting these very intense situations just to get a few Christmas gifts, right? Or just to get some food or a box of, you know, like we had turkeys and hams and different things like that that we were going to give out. And so the whole time, Jalissa is just kind of whispering in my ear the whole time, talking about life, talking about this, talking about just different things. And quickly I realized, oh, we got a lot in common. I didn't even realize it. Right. Um, but whenever Jolissa was inviting me to church, I thought where, where, and this is kind of where the challenges with church right now, when you invite people to church, right? There's a relationship there. And when Jolissa was inviting me, I was like, oh, like we've built some time together we understand each other like i'm gonna go just because i like you and you're a cool person so i'm gonna go check this out and so when i did that that's obviously where i eventually got saved at the salvation army but to understand who jolissa was it's these conversations and that's one thing that i took away from that whole experience was that I do not minimize a conversation I'm going to have, even if it's for 10 minutes, five minutes, something like that. And if you ask people in my work right now, they'll probably be like, girl's probably the most open person about a lot of subjects. Because some people will ask me things like, hey, well, how far do you want to go with this? Do you want to have an actual conversation or you just want to like have some light banter? Level I don't five, know. Level five, level 10. What do yeah, because <laughs> most people have learned that about me and they'll learn that about my wife. And, and, uh, and so we just talk very openly about things because man, people are hungry for truth. Goodness mm. gracious. Especially these days, they just want some truth and they don't want these personas of people put up here. And it's like the moment I can at least say, Hey, we're all broken. And even when I mentor guys, I'll say, Hey, I'm not trying to heal you or free you or anything. I'm trying to walk with you. And I'm a little further up here and I'm just trying to get you to come up here with me and we're going to walk together. We're still mm. in the same road. And that's kind of the importance of that. And that's where, you know, Jolissa really, I felt like even though we were in two different lives, like she was trying to pull me up to this place of like, hey, I've got a little bit of faith and a little bit of knowledge here. And I'm trying to pull you right here and let you know, like, it's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those situations. And y'all may have felt this way before. You just start sharing stories. You're like, Why did I just share that with her? Mm. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you, you. You hit on something, talking about seeing God. One of Jesus's Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall right. see God. And that verse, that first part of that has been so misinterpreted through the years. I think the Danish right. philosopher Søren Kierkegaard had it nailed when he said to be pure in heart is to will one will. To yeah, yeah. be, you know, to so focus. And when your focus, when God gets your attention, when God starts getting your attention, as he did with you in Del Rio, 
And when you went, you said a couple of weeks later, you were at the strip club and just like, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm, and he's getting your attention. He gets it further and further and further. Has your attention more and more and more. He's purifying your heart. And we've right. looked at that verse going, we purify our own heart. No, we don't. We never can, never will. And it's just like that. That's what it means to be pure of heart means to live one will to live specifically where you are looking exactly. for God. And when you look for him in other people's life, when you listen for him, he will speak total strangers. He'll use right. you. Things will be coming out of your mouth, which you're like, where did that come from? Uh, and you talk exactly. about being transparent and, and that's, that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for transparent truth in real lives where God has brought a change and not only has brought a change, but is bringing a change. Yeah. I call it, I, I've kind of started saying this term like weirdly authentic because it's like, I think, I think that's what people are looking for, like authenticity, but authenticity, true authenticity is really weird mm -hmm. for yes. people. Yeah. And I think it's really weird for people to, you know, hey, let's talk about, you know, internet pornography. How's it affecting your relationship? Hey, do you really think you should be drinking six beers a night? I don't know. And it's just like little conversations you have. You know, I know you like to do these things, but is that really healthy? You're feeling this distance from God. Maybe you could challenge that. Yeah. Now you're, you tap into my interpretation of Psalm 139. It talks about we're fearfully oh, and wonderfully great. made. Uh, my paraphrase is we're fearfully and wonderfully weird. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Very much so. Peculiar. Isn't that the biblical term for peculiar? There, yeah, peculiar. Yeah, is like the, king, the King James word is peculiar. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and he was a mess. Let's talk about that. Anyway. <laughs> I think you should ask your question, Robert. Yeah. Uh, okay. When, when this comp, no, when I'm nervous. This, no, 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 no. Uh, when <laughs> the podcast, the, the conception of the podcast, there was a question that, and I haven't, I just happened to stumble across this the other day. I just had this podcast idea. And I, and then I say, the main question asked every week would be what feeds your heart. And I'm going to ask that. I haven't asked wow. that in a long time because we're sitting at the table. Table is yeah. usually a place where we get fed. Gerald, what feeds your heart? Feeds my heart every day. So I am in a currently in my state of mind right now. I am practicing gratitude and joy and peace. And so those in the chaos, I just had a conversation with someone yesterday about this was like, Hey, the world might be falling down around us, but we got to find peace in it. And so therefore what's feeding my heart right now is I have a 11 year old and an eight year old, um, and both adoption. So we, we have a family through adoption and our marriage. So, and me and Tab's marriage and what feeds my heart right now is me and my wife's marriage, our kids and seeing how we can be good disciples of that. And I think that's where we're trying to do as a family. Um, I had a talk with a missionary once and I was like, Hey, he gave me some really good advice. He said, you have no business on the mission field if you can't disciple your own family. And so therefore that, that is something I've kind of recycled in my head throughout the day. I actually write it down. I'm like, okay, am I discipling my family? And so if nothing throughout the day is coming back to honoring God with the gifts of my marriage and my kids and the things that he's given me around me. I think that's where I have to always check myself. So what feeds me is writing these stories, doing 
you know, having conversations and also taking those times where I'm having uninterrupted time with my wife or uninterrupted time with my kids. So it's, and those things are very fastly going away with obviously the way culture is running in one direction right now is like taking those breaks and being able to just sit like we sat on the back porch last night. And sometimes we just tell little funny stories and I let my daughter tell this funny story and my son will tell a story and they try to outdo each other, but it's just a really cool little time that feeds me. It's like, okay, like they're in their creative space. They're thinking, they're thinking for themselves. They're not looking on a phone, trying to figure out words or whatever, (laughs) but yeah. So that's, that's really what feeds me these days and, and really just walking in that. That's awesome. How could people get hold of you? Uh, if they want to know, you know, about your book or if they right. would like to talk to you further, maybe invite you in uh, you have your contact information. So I have a my email that I use right now is info at Gerald dot com. So it's G-R-A-L-D-Z-G-A-B-A-Y. And um, also I have a Facebook account and our website is www.geraldskyby.com as well. Might change that. As me and my wife have spoken more with each other, we might change that website a little bit. But um, yeah, those are the two major places right now. And I think I'm on Facebook, Instagram, those two places. Okay. And you have two books, you said, Sobering Faith. Yes. And what's the other Sobering Faith. And my other one is Opening Up. And Opening Up more dives into um, processing internet pornography addiction in your marriage. But it also talks about opening your heart, opening your mind and opening your home. So that's kind of the process and how we got to open adoption. So there, there's a big it kind of goes into how um, we mentored some teenagers in a small community that didn't fit in with a church. And so we have this whole process that happened. And again, all built off of this experience that, you know, God just kind of put on me throughout the sobering faith journey. Okay. And then I have a week. Then I have a weekly newsletter. Sorry. Okay. So. Okay. Well, man, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and I'm glad you reached out to Steph about yeah. uh, the possibility of coming to be on the podcast. And I enjoyed uh, it. Thank you. All. Yeah. yeah. Excited about what you're doing and your journey. And now I want to go read the book, Sobering Faith. Great. What's the subtitle again? How I discovered <laughs> God while hungover. How I discovered God while while hungover. Thanks, Steph, for introducing me to Gerald. You're so welcome, Rob. Yes, thank, thank, you. thank you all both. Oh, when he finds me, he calls, standing winsome and tall. In helpless, I fall to the ground at his feet. But then he sweeps up his bride, looks me deep in the eyes, and tells me he'd die if that's what it costs to make.